Hello and welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast, uh, greatest American band bracket. We're in our final bracket, our final region of the first round, and it's been tough going so far. There's been a lot of uh, surprises, a lot of uh, tough matchups, and tonight is no uh, exception to that rule. So um, we're going to kick it off with our first matchup in, in uh, Region 4, which is the Velvet Underground versus the Wrens. Christian? Well, I think uh, here we are on Friday night, and people are teetering on their bar stools at this point after two long days of uh, of, of basketball and and uh, rock music competition here. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and and heavy consumption that perhaps rivals one of the bands here, the Velvet Underground. Um, Velvet Underground uh, come into this matchup on a three day amphetamine bender um, uh, with with little to no sleep. Um, uh, pretty pretty anxious actually, um, but you know, look, I think the the matchup here is. Between between obviously one of our one of our absolute favorite bands, I think uh, something that that all three of us appreciate in the Wrens um, against truly uh, a titan um, in in the Velvet Underground, um, a a cornerstone of of avant garde and and you know the the sort of intersection of art and rock, um, but in addition to that, just a really great band. I mean, the Velvet Underground and Nico White Light White Heat um, uh, loaded. Uh, self-titled. I mean, these are these are really high-quality records, and um, and I think uh, I I think that they you know they they really stake a, an important place sort of in the in the American pantheon of rock. They're one of the coolest bands by far out there. Um, so major style points, major influence points, major cultural impact points, um, and the music is just damn good. And I go back to it constantly. So uh, so I think it's going to be a tough matchup for the Wrens, but I want to turn it over to you guys to uh, to break down the competition a little further. So, uh, Jeremy? Yeah, I mean, you know, look, it's the uh, the old adage that not many people heard the first Velvet Underground album when it came out, but everyone who did started a band. And, uh, you know, that that's a, that's a big statement because a lot of our favorite bands certainly cite them as their number one influence, and I would probably guess that the Wrens are just happy to be in this game at all. Um, I do love the Wrens. I, I, I want to give them a, a huge amount of credit for, uh, you know, although it takes them multiple years to put out an album, when they do, it, it's always worth the wait. Uh, Meadowlands being one of my favorites and, and Secaucus being one of my other favorite albums. I think they're great songwriters, great craftsmen of pop music and, and, and rock. But um, VU is, is a heavyweight, and to your point, Christian, you know, I, I too, it, there's a lot of bands that get you into music, and there's a lot of bands that kind of change your your sort of uh, impressions of music or, or change, you know, or kind of tastemakers, and uh, a lot of those bands you don't end up going back to, you know, maybe something you listen to, like, hardcore when you were young, or, or you know, we, we talked about some of the more avant-garde sort of noise noise bands earlier in, in this tournament that got knocked out, but uh, Velvet Underground is, is a band that I have no problem popping on any of the albums that were uh, pre-mentioned. So, Wynn, what do you think? Yeah, it's a, it's a shame because uh, the Wrens are, are uh, local favorites um, for the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast, and um, this is the sort of Monmouth versus Kentucky University matchup. Um, you know, we're, we're psyched that the Wrens made a good showing, but um, I think it's... Uh, it's safe to say that the you know the buzz saw they're running into is is going to take them down. So uh, now I'm, one one thing one thing I would like to point out though is that of all the bands I think on uh, that that have that we've seen compete in this uh, in this incredible gauntlet in the last two days, um, what the Wrens, 
Spoon, maybe you could say The Strokes, uh, and then probably Titus Andronicus are really the only bands on here that are still um, that are still active, and that I'm still excited about what they're doing next. Um, so I think you know we're going to have a Runs album this year. We're going to have a Spoon album, and you know uh, I, I believe uh, uh, to coincide um, with some of the dates in this tournament. Um, but you know it, it's a it's a it, it's worth considering that you know when we revisit this next year, um, it's uh, they. They may be in a very different place, so uh, so we're excited to hear what they contribute next. Yeah, I I, I love that sort of optimism, um, but I think I've been saying that since two thousand six. So uh, <laughs> I, I'm I'm gonna go. I, it's hard to imagine that a band that broke up you know forty uh, some odd years ago um, has doubled the output of a band that's been active uh, since 1989, but that is the case here. And I think if we're going to a vote, I think we're fairly certain it's Velvet Underground for me. me Velvet as well. Underground here. Yeah. 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 All right. Velvet Underground moves on. Next up is uh, uh, Speed versus Power, I think. Uh, Bad Brains versus Metallica. Oof, I think they're both uh, both. Kristen, this is your hometown band, so... That's exactly right. Um, you know, I think uh, uh, when we're talking about some of the teams that were on the bubble for this bracket, um, you know, Fugazi, Minor Threat, uh, definitely, definitely, you know, worthy of, of long consideration. I think... Bad Brains um, had uh, another dimension to their music, uh, perhaps, that, that some of those early Reagan-era um, punk bands didn't have. There was a little bit more maturity, and, and you know, I think their, their crossover ability um, in, terms of, uh, in terms of their fan base and then, you know, just in terms of sort of the longevity as well, um, all contribute to, to, um, uh, to them sort of uh, edging out the other, the other bands that maybe were, you know, clustered with them. Um, as far as Metallic is concerned, you know, what can you say? Uh, definitely a first-half team. Um, maybe you could argue uh, just a first-quarter team. Um, those first four albums, though, were absolutely massive. Um, you know, they were, they were defining of an era of, uh, of, of thrash metal um, that, that really has never been uh, equaled since. The fact that, you know, it, so, okay, cultural impact, immense. Um, you know, influence, well... The fact that they spun off Megadeth um, when they kicked Dave Mustaine out of the band, um, you know, is is I think uh, it, let's say that's the only band they inspired, and God knows it wasn't. Um, 
you've you've got to say that that Metallica produced one of the other great bands in that uh, in in that um, genre as well. So you know, I think I, I think at the end of the day, uh, Metallica comes in here with a huge huge advantage. You know, in terms of their their recruiting power, uh, just just the size of the sports program really across the board. Um, it, it's a tough matchup, uh, but uh, but I think um, but I think you know they're they're definitely the heavy favorites heading into this one. How about you, Wyndham? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the thing about Metallica is, you know, they did two things, really. They they more or less were there for the invention of, of the subgenre of, you know, thrash and speed metal. They also brought it to mainstream popularity, which is pretty remarkable considering that how marginalized it was from the beginning. So it's a, that's a pretty long walk from, um, you know, early days, their, quote, garage days, to uh, something like the Black Album, and they're still going. They're still, uh, you know, relatively relevant. Yeah, let's not. We don't need to. Well, we don't need to discuss Death Magnetic. Yeah, um, <laughs> but uh, okay. So I don't think I'm going to have a lot more to add to, uh, to this one, except that uh, you know this is um, you know this is a David and Goliath matchup, Jared. Yeah, the only thing I would add is that uh, you know it's more, it, despite I think Metallica having a serious height advantage here and. and uh, maybe even a speed advantage at times because uh, the bad brains do slow their game up a little bit um, for a change of pace. You know, you do have two bands that, that kind of both have technical skill and, and both have kind of a, a lasting influence, which, which I think is pretty cool. Some of our matchups have been, have been more lopsided. You know, the bad brains were a Rastafarian, uh, you know, hardcore band that was... I think technically better than almost all the other hardcore bands of their time, and, and then also brought in you know Certainly better players, yeah, full on reggae um, to the mix, which you know, and not sort of the ska reggae of the Clash. I mean, this this was a, a this band could morph into a reggae band um, and did often. So albums for Rock for Light and uh, you know Eye Against Eye are, are sort of classics. But in the end, I think Metallica has the uh, the early track record and. and uh, Definitely is going to take a big lead and coast, in my opinion, towards the end. Um, they might so, make it a little fun, but I think uh, the bad brains don't have enough manpower. So you're going, you're cast your vote. I'm here. going Metallica. Yep. Christian. I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to go Metallica as well. Yeah, it's a it's uh, it's a sad day, but it's true. Uh, Metallica takes down the bad brains. So next up, Jerry, you're going to lead this one off. This is a, a battle of um, <clears throat> one of the real sort of heavyweights of your, um, you know, uh, high school years, uh, junior high and high school years, versus uh, an actual hometown team, a team uh, that comes from uh, one of the sub- the uh, suburb of Boston that we used to live in. So uh, Aerosmith versus Pearl Jam, hit it. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, I'll start with Pearl Jam just because it was sort of uh, my my junior high and high school days when 10 and and Versus came out, and they were the, pretty much the biggest band in the country. I mean, obviously Nirvana was a, a mega force, but Pearl Jam in a different way had that sort of classic rock appeal that, that um, really, you know, I mean, hit the masses. And, and they were a reluctant... Um, reluctant mainstream band like Nirvana, but I think this was a wildly ambitious band underneath that. And, uh, I think think they sort of played, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think, I think they kind of played reluctant because they were supposed to, um, you know, I'm obviously inferring for them. Um, but you know, a great live band early on and, uh, you know, you got to give Pearl Jam a lot of credit. I, I, I will admit that I'm, I'm not a huge fan I, I certainly like some songs off 10 and, and some, um, I love the song Corduroy off Vitology, Vitology. I think it's a great album. Um, I got to see them in 92 and they were superb. Um, but you know, I think they kind of mailed it in for a lot of years since then. And, and, uh, you know, haven't really kind of created that same sort of power and, and, uh, you know, song craftsmanship that they had early on. That said, this band sells out stadiums all the time. And and I give like, you know, a lot of bands on this list, I give anyone credit for doing things their own way. And Pearl Jam truly is a band that kind of, um, sidestepped, you know, the mainstream. They didn't make videos after the Jeremy video because they just, you know, um, the amount of attention they got for that video they wanted to get away from. They, you know, took on Ticketmaster back in the day. Um, They sell out stadiums. They sell all their live albums. So, I mean, it's a band that I I definitely respect and I think has a huge impact in rock and roll in America. Aerosmith is a, uh, you know, like Wynn said, hometown heroes um, for sure. And, And I think, you know, another band that early on, you know, was one of the most ferocious rock bands around. I, I love rocks, Toys in the Attic. I mean, songs like Back in the Saddle, Walk This Way. Um, just great riff, riff-heavy riff band from Perry and, and, and a really dynamic front man with Steven Tyler. I mean, I actually happened to just see a, a footage of Steven Tyler doing Walk This Way. And this was actually an older version of Aer- Aerosmith. And the guy's full-on backflips on stage, um, you know, into, into you know, perfectly sung lyrics is, is just pretty hard to beat. Um, they are a band that suffers in the fourth quarter. Um, they definitely, you know, uh, have a hard time sustaining a full game these days and, and also responsible for some pretty fucking horrible ballads later in, in their later half career. But uh, I think this is a this is a tough matchup. You've got sort of a rock icon from the '70s into the '80s that's still playing today, and you have a, a '90s rock icon that's also still going today. So two two active bands um, in the rock arena. So win, Christian. Shoot, Christian hit it. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think you you made a lot of great points there and, and set this up well. Um, certainly, ten is is uh, a phenomenal record and I, I think probably the the best by Pearl Jam um you know they they may have waned a little bit they seem like they've, they've always felt to me like the logical conclusion of the uh the the event that sort of Nirvana really got started um that you know that was that was bound to go um you know to to the mainstream it was so popular um and it, it sort of begs the question well what would have happened in Nirvana if Kurt Cobain had, had lived um, and uh, I think that you know the answer may well be in, in Pearl Jam. I then think that they you know they launched a, a, a thousand shitty ships um, in the form of, uh, of of you know new metal in the late '90s, and um, I'm sure you know. Oh God, the Ed Vedder lockjaw thing, yeah. Um, but then you've got you know Aerosmith on the other hand, and really I just 
I'm never I'm never going to be able to get past the fact that like uh, you know the Armageddon soundtrack is just one of like that that horrible horrible song when Steven Tyler is singing that shitty love ballad I don't want to close my eyes um, to the sex scene that his daughter is starring in with Ben Affleck um, is just one of the most horrifically awkward moments in both cinema and musical history. Um, so, you know, I think that that almost offsets... It's almost a foul uh, out <laughs> technical there. Yeah, it really, it really is. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, the, it's the flagrant two. Um, but uh, but well, this, I think, This you matchup know, is really where, you know, I mean, the band that, that brought uh, rap and rock together with uh, Walk This Way and the band that brought um, incest to the, to the summer blockbuster... So. Yeah, yeah, all in one, uh, all in one, um, one you know, neat, uh, neat package. Now, you know, I, I think that it, you you've got to give Stephen Tyler a little bit of credit, like in the sense that he's probably the closest thing that is he the closest thing that we have to to like a Mick Jagger. I think he might be. Um, yeah. Maybe Axl Rose is up there too in his heyday. Um, but but you know, it's that that kind of incredible um, per- performance. Uh, I, it's a tough one. Um, you know, both really have their pluses and minuses. I, I think it's anybody's game. Yeah, it's it's a toughie. Um, it not less tough for me. I think I know where my vote is going. But um, you know, both of these bands are. Uh, you know, if we're talking about legacy, um, both of these bands leave a body of work that's that's suitable for their own thing. But both of them launched a, a million shitty yeah. in, imitators, both, and both of, both of them have left a corpse of work as well. well yeah, that's true too. Pearl Jam but, actually uh, like to wear basketball jerseys on stage, which I'm not yeah. sure if that's a plus or minus. I, I was going to bring that up. This is uh, you know this is the team that if I were to tap one of these teams to play an actual basketball game, I think it might be Pearl Jam. Um, that said, uh, Aerosmith. You know, I think they're they're tale of two bands. They're the prehab uh, Aerosmith and the post rehab Aerosmith. Um, but you know, I think as much as uh, you know, the, the sort of true believers and um, you know, the sort of diehard '70s Aerosmith fans poo poo the later stuff. I mean, you could make a lot worse albums than Permanent Vacation and Pump. Uh, they're both. Pretty. Uh, the one thing about but they Aerosmith both have some was, great songs on them. Yeah, they were pretty damn good. I mean, they were pretty great with the hooks. Um, you know, they were riff masters. They were hook masters. They they put together a good song. And and um, you know, I, I give uh, Steven Tyler credit for you know being uh, you know eighty years old and never running out of um, sexual innuendo to to push into a song. Um, he was a great front man. I think Eddie Vedder's a great front man, but. Uh, uh, when it comes down to it, Aerosmith's 70s stuff really carries them uh, over the finish line as far as I'm concerned. I'm casting my vote for Aerosmith. Jer? Yeah, you know, I just, I think Sweet Emotion, Walk This Way, Back in the Saddle are just, you know, right there, three songs that I like better than any Pearl Jam song. And I, and I also think more impactful on American rock in general. So I am also going with the, uh, the hometown heroes, Aerosmith. Christian? I'm going Aerosmith as well. Oh, I'm not nice. surprising.
Um, excellent. Well, the next one is is uh, we've had a lot of tough matchups. Um, I see another one on the horizon, but this one is, is this one's a, a, a battle to the death of two American classics: the Almond Brothers versus Cheap Trick. Um, a battle of you know very divergent styles. Jared, what, what take us through uh, your breakdown of the Almond Brothers and Cheap Trick? You know, I, I'm going to actually pass the ball to Christian because he's a bigger Almond Brothers fan than I am. So I need. I'm a huge Cheap Trick fan. I'm happy to talk about Cheap Trick, um, but I want to hear an argument for the Almond Brothers first, if that's all right. Good. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it started. Um, it started in, in really the 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 cradle of American rock music at Fame Studios in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, where uh, where Dwayne Allman was a was a session guitar player. Um, I, I mean, I think that you know that alone, that pedigree, um, is a is a really important component in all of this. I mean, that that place um, is just so steeped in the history of American rock greatness, um, and and it, I think it it brought together uh, rock and roll, soul, blues um, in a way that that I don't you know I, I don't think any other place, any other specific you know sort of standing monument has ever has ever really uh, achieved. Um, so starting from there, uh, you know, I think that these guys um, perfected their sound, which was a, you know, Southern rock uh, uh, sort of highway bound blend of, of, you know, Southern, Southern rock blues um, and, and, you know, big sort of soul um, at a time when really there wasn't like a genre known as Southern rock. I mean, these guys kicked the door open for, um, for Skinner uh, and, you know, the Marshall Tucker band and a million others. Um, but, uh, but they really sort of brought that, that country twang into, uh, into the mix, I think, um, which was something that is so uniquely American. Um, and, you know, I, I think that by comparison, you know, I look at Cheap Trick and I think, I, well, I'll, I'll, I'll admit, I honestly, I thought they were Australian for years. Um, and I had no idea. I mean, I had no reason to know one way or another. And, and I just sort of, for some reason, I was, I was convinced they were. Um, but the fact that they could be confused with a band from Australia, um, you know, I, I think sort of uh, means that they're not quite wrapped up in American identity the way that um, the way that the Almond Brothers are. And, and I think, you know, Cheap Trick does a sort of really awesome, like, uh, crunchy rock riff, um, you know, uh, power pop, um, type of music, which I love. I, I really do. Um, but I also think an English band could have made it, or I think uh, an Australian band could have made it. Um, it. It feels a little commonwealthy. Uh, and I think, you know, the Almond Brothers is is sort of like the, the lifeblood of American yeah. music. Well, I, I, uh, I'll take this from here. Uh, Cheap Trick, by no means, is that an accident for them. They were absolute worshippers of the Beatles yeah, and, Beatles. you know, all of that <clears throat> British invasion music. And, you know, what they did is they took it and they made it bigger. Um, they sort of stadiumized the sound, um, you know, took a little bit of the, you know, Boston sheen from a band like Boston. And um, it, the weird thing about Cheap Trick is to this day, as much as I'm a, a fan and, and have uh, watched them, you know, throughout the years and, and live, you know, sort of lived uh, contemporaneous with their rise, um, I've never quite figured out how the band was supposed to be put together. It's basically they've got two pretty boys and then they've got one dork and, an and one guy <laughs> one guy who looks like you punch the clock to get in. And um it's you know, and it 
I know it's by design. I know, you know, I know enough to know that Rick Nielsen put this band together, you know, probably looking for, you know, a work, a, a work a day drummer, um, and a pretty guy who could sing, uh, to sell the music that he's writing and, and creating. Uh, he, you know, he was the songwriter in the band. Um, his, you know, his whole gig was strange. Uh, I, the world is a better place for, for having cheap trick because they're just, um, they're sort of an indefinable um, presence, and yet at the same time, I feel like their first four or five albums are just loaded with gems, and it's exactly the kind of music I love. I love, you know, sort of power pop, uh, and they are the the sort of masters of it. Uh, I think it basically what it was was taking British Invasion music and just cranking it um, a little bit louder. Um, well, almost Americanizing it, you know, in a yeah. way, <clears throat> you know. And, Although, and I, you know, I mean, I think, you know, we, we've said this before and we talked about this in our Power Pop, um, you, know, Paul, you know, each one of the individual uh, Beatles solo careers is kind of, you could point to any one of them and say, well, that's the sort of uh, derivation of, of Power Pop. I mean, or, you know, Paul McCartney, Badfinger, uh, George... George Harrison's solo stuff. I mean, so, you know, they did kind of arenaize it. They, uh, but I think, you know, I think Christian's right to have confused them with the Commonwealth's um, output for all these years because they were unabashedly aiming for that sound. But, Jared, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a ton to add. I think both are great arguments. I think this is a really tough matchup. And, uh, you know, I'll talk a little bit more about Cheap Trick, just in the fact that, you know, the first album, self-titled, In Color, Heaven Tonight, and Dream Police, you know, when I think you, you mentioned sort of those first four, are just really perfect to me. And, and it's it's a rare blend of the the kind of pop, crunchy guitars and, and jangly guitars at the same time with great hooks. Um, but yet it is arena size rock. So usually the two don't go hand in hand. You have kind of an Aerosmith or a, you know... Um, Molly Crew or Guns N' Roses, where that that heavy rock kind of takes over. Um, you know, more I think so Van like Halen, more rock god like, yeah, yeah, Van Halen did a good job of, of blending a little bit of pop, but they still were kind of a rock gods. Where these guys just were really straight ahead. Um, you know, both. I mean, they they really. I love the album covers too because the Pretty Boys were always on the front and the Goofballs on the back. <laughs> Which is classic. There's um, no greater persona in, in rock and roll, can we say, than Bunny Carlos. No, Bunny Carlos is awesome, yeah. Um, but, you know, I do get, the, you know, brothers and sisters or Eat a Peach and the own brothers. And, and I think, you know, uh, I mean, what an American powerhouse. Like, you, you can't mistake them for anything but, which, you know, Christian stated, rightly so. And, and, um, and you know, I, I love a lot of those songs. I mean, the Allman Brothers... Um, you know, uh, God, I'm, I'm blanking on song titles right now because they're so familiar, but like, you know, Ramblin' Man, obviously Southbound, um, Jessica, Sweet Melissa. Melissa. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're really like a, they're a soundtrack to my childhood. I've actually seen the Allman Brothers live a bunch of times, obviously not with Dwayne, but with, um, Dickie Betts when he was in the band and they're a great live show. Um, they get a little jammy for me, but, but, you know, in general, like one of the better of that genres, um, you know, groups and, and definitely worth seeing. So yeah, this is a this is a, a toss up. This game's definitely going into overtime, and uh, I think we need to make a decision. Yeah, uh, Jerry, you want to cast a vote? Yeah, you know, I'm gonna say, um, God, this is this is really hard for me. And uh, why don't you? I'll, you know what? I'll come back to you because you sound like the most conflicted. Christian, yep. why don't you go? Go for it. I'm going Almond Brothers. Yeah, 
I'm going to go cheap trick. I, I think this is kind of where the div- dividing line is in, you know, Christian and my taste. This is, I'm more song-based, he's more music-based, if that makes sense. Christian he's, likes you know, mutely much... southern guitars more than No, you. he's just, a, he cares more about musicality. <laughs> Shut up, Jeremy. <laughs> and and uh, virtuosity, and, and I care more about a, a riff and a hook and a bridge. Yeah, I mean... Um... I passed the ball in the beginning for the reason, and it was mainly just because I think I knew that the Allman Brothers should be the band that moves on, even Oof. though I, I like Cheap Trick better. Wow. All right. Wow. Better. Man, that was intense. I feel like, yeah, we need a breather after that one. Sure. Um, but we don't but, get, uh, actually, we do get oh. a breather after this one. Uh, <laughs> uh, the next, yeah, the yeah. next matchup <laughs> is uh, Nirvana versus the Black Keys. So they might set this all-time scoring record for the tournament on this one. Um, shall I? Uh, shall I? You know, start if you'd like. Yeah. I think <laughs> do you want to? Do you want to get straight to a vote? Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, not, uh, not a lot of Nirvana, bench players on one team. Let's just say. To absolutely no one's surprise, uh, Nirvana is going to go deep in this tournament. I suspect. Um, you know, they are they're one of the most instantly recognizable sounds in American rock music. Um, one of the, uh, I, I mean, you, you know, I, almost every song that they released on their on their um, three studio albums was a was a hit. Based, I mean, not a not necessarily a, a chart topping hit, but a but a you know standalone like radio play song at this point. Um, they're incredible. They they changed uh, they changed the sound of American music and definitely you know cultural impact immense uh, influence on, on other bands. Um, you know the extent to which I go back to them frequently. Um, I, then the Black Keys. Look, I love them, um, and they were sort of a, an early find for me. I, you know, I love that sort of like garage blues uh, rock um, a, a ton. I've seen them a bunch. They're they're terrific, and and started seeing them in, in pretty small venues, but. Um, at the end of the day, I think this is no contest. Yeah, I feel like the uh, the Black Keys are sort of, uh, you know, the arena uh, filling uh, wrens in this matchup. It's uh, it's not you, it's them. It's uh, <laughs> uh, it's the fact that Nirvana is dominant. Though both bands uh, yeah. have two living members, um, I think it's a pretty easy. Uh, decision for me. I think the Black Keys walk out onto the court, take one look at the competition, and head back to the locker room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not much. I mean, again, not nothing to add there. In full agreement, and I mean, it's um, the Black Keys will be back next year. Let's just say that, and they might have an easier matchup. <clears throat> yeah, they might have a good recruiting class. Anyway, uh, so Nirvana, Nirvana, Nirvana. Yep, Nirvana.
Next one's an interesting one, too. Uh, again, Midwest versus uh, uh, L.A. by way of D.C. Black Flag versus Guided by Voices. Jeremy, uh, do you want to kick it yeah, off? Yeah, definitely. So, um, well, you know, I'll, I'll talk about Black Flag a little bit. You have kind of an icon in the, in the 80s punk rock world. Um, you know, obviously gave us uh, SST Records and, and, and Henry Rollins. Um, Black Flag is, is kind of the quintessential, you know, um, they're, they're probably the most recognized, I would think. If you guys disagree, let me know. Certainly and, the most uh, tattooed. Yeah. yeah, definitely in, in T-shirts I as mean, well. I mean, that is, yeah, they, they, no, they run the... I mean, it, they had a great logo. That's, that's accurate. But I think also kind of a band that, you know, everybody knows. Metalheads knew, you know, punk rockers knew. Um, people that might not necessarily know either genre um, are aware of, of Black Flag. Um, I have a few issues with them, you know. I mean, one is I liked uh, Jealous Again EP, and I liked Damaged, and I didn't really like anything after that. Um, so I, I kind of grouped them in with some other bands that I consider kind of more of a, a, a statement than an actual band that I love, you know, Misfits being on that list, and um, other. there's a few other punkers in there. On the other hand, GBV, you know, suffers from just way too much output, you know. Um, it's a band that uh, is hard to sift through because they have, you know, over 100 albums that are all, you know, 25 songs long, but but um, clock in, you know, under 20 minutes. That said, the, the highlights on the GBV roster are, are very high for me. I, I think these guys have insane pop sensibility. Um, I think, too, like... Um, Black Flag, who influenced a lot of bands, you'd be surprised. You you, t- you listen to a band like The Strokes, and uh, you know I've heard them in interviews before talk about this is it, and they were like, yeah, everybody just assumed that we were you know listening to Velvet Underground and, and Johnny Thunders and all the New York music. They're like, actually, Guided by Voices was our biggest influence for that album, and uh, you know they're a band that that when I first saw started seeing them live, took Spoon on tour took Black Rebel Motorcycle Club on tour. I mean, they're kind of elder statesmen and I think have one of the best stories in uh, modern rock and roll. An elementary school teacher who was obsessed with The Who and, uh, you know, who was kind of making bedroom recordings with his drinking buddies in his garage. Um, you know, they basically had a drinking club and, and record four tracks. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards the Midwest on this one. I'm just going to admit it. I think Black Flag's an important band, I, I think, you know, but I, I don't think their output is as good as, as kind of the name and the, the logo. So when Christian? Or, or Christian jump in? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, um, don't underestimate the, the importance of a name and a logo, though. Uh, and, you know, I'm with you. I, I don't necessarily think they were um, the most technically proficient players, although they were pretty good. Um, at, at times, uh, different different iterations of them were, were better. Um, some were better than others. I, I mean to say, um, but uh, but I do think that you know, as 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 punk bands go, these guys were really uh, a, a sort of seminal um, influence, and and you know, in terms of in terms of hardcore, and and uh, I think that you know, every almost every rock loving teenager goes through some point. Um, listening to a ton of Black Flag uh, in in the United States these days and and many other places around the world, I'm sure. Um, I don't think the same could be said of of Guided by Voices. Um, I just think there's smaller time, and um, you know, I, I Black Flag is a is a is a you know has a huge sort of cultural imprint on this country, and and um, as as Wyndham keeps pointing out, also an imprint on the arms of many of my neighbors. Um, so uh, you know, I think that that 
yeah, it's it's going to be a, a tough matchup because I agree one is one is probably a, a technically better, more interesting um, band in many respects. But uh, but I think sort of you know for for what they were and what they represent and where they where they fall you know where they are in history, uh, Black Flag is is pretty significant. Yeah, it's what funny. Do you think, I think um, you know I think Guided by Voices is one of those bands that will become more important as time goes on. Um, I think Black Flag, um, and I don't blame this on the band, but they've become, um, you know, the same as the Misfits and CBGB. It's like uh, it's a T-shirt now rather than um, any you know collection of music. And um, like I said, that that's not no fault of the band. Um, and I like Henry Rollins as a as a um, talking head. I think he's an interesting guy. Uh, that said, I am. I was never a big. I, I'm with Jer. After Damage, I was never uh, much of a Black Flag fan. I saw them back in the day in the I think '84, '85 in um, Providence, Rhode Island. Um, great live band. Tons of. I mean, it just you know it was remarkable. Rollins is is a phenomenal frontman. Um, and well, and that of course is how he how he won the job, as, as yeah. we've discussed before. But I mean, the fact that he was basically an audience member who could who could um, you know who could do it, and uh, their their lead singer uh, left was unavailable, um, and they basically called him up and said, "Hey, you know, uh, like he he basically won the starting job um, in a concert." Uh, well, funny you should which mention is, which that. Is an awesome, awesome, uh, awesome story. So. Because the sports analogies aren't going to end there. Um, and this is uh, this was uh, two certainly bands one of the most physically fit front men of, of yeah, anybody that, in the. But uh, that's the funny thing is that GBV um, is a is a band that's laden with athletes. Uh, the Pollard brothers, um, uh, Jim, being a starting guard at Arizona State um, back in the day, and Bob Pollard uh, pitched a no hitter for Wright State. Uh, a collegiate Division One no hitter, which is not an easy feat. So these guys are talented, and and you can see it in Pollard's uh, leg kick. Still, uh, he's still got some. He's still yeah, got he some. He can hops. hold his own as a front man for sure. And you know, I can to drink see... more than any front man I've ever seen during a yeah. show. Yeah, there's there is. Uh, I will. I will. <laughs> um, the other comparison I'll say: Black Flag has six pack. Guided by voices has the rest of the has the rest of the liquor <laughs> the rest store. Of the Thirty. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's uh, I, I kind of see where this one's going, but uh, Christian, I'll let you vote first. Well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna vote with a quote from H. L. Mencken, which is that every normal man must be tempted at times to spit on his hands, hoist the black flag, and begin slitting throats. <laughs> wow. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna quote Bob Pollard and say, "Come on, come on, the bar is open," um, and kick it over to Jer. Yeah, I'm gonna just go down the list here. So cultural impact, I give the flag influence. I'm gonna say, uh, I think Guided by Voices has, has both bands influence a lot. I think Guided by Voices influence better bands. Technical skill, flag, creative breath, definitely <laughs> Guided by Voices. And uh, who do I return to the most? And I return to the bar more often than not. And so I'm going with Guided by Voices. So it's a Guided by Voices win. Um, awesome. Next up. Black Flag uh, will be torching your car in the parking lot. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it, it, it was a tough one. Like a lot. This, this first yeah. round is, has been a real, I mean, this has been one of the bigger, uh, tighter uh, matchups, better first round matchups than I, can, than I possibly could have dreamed up when we thought of this idea.
Um, next up is a real mismatch, a really strange matchup, I should say, not a mismatch, but uh, Parliament Funkadelic versus Sleater Kinney. Uh, I'm going to let Christian lead this one because he is probably uh, uh, the biggest fan of, of both. Sleater Kinney, yeah. Um, I, I think, uh, I mean, I, I think this is definitely one of the most interesting audiences that we've seen for any of the games so far. Um, but, uh, you know... Look, I, I think I want to. I think the obvious, um, the obvious choice here maybe is Parliament Funkadelic, just in terms of um, how long they were around. Uh, so for a lot of people, that'll sort of be the reflex. Um, for that reason, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of make my case for for Sleater Kinney here, um, which is that in terms of, uh, it, in a way. You know, similar to 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 the Almond Brothers and the way that Dickie Betts and Dwayne Almond um, sort of interacted on stage through their music, um, I think that this is one of the one of the best examples of of um, Corin Tucker and Carrie Brownstein. Um, you know, really uh, putting their relationship um, as as friends and you know one time lovers um, sort of on display for the world to see through their music, through their lyrics. Uh, one of the most sort of like I think emotionally forceful rock bands that, that we've had, um, incredibly good, smart writers. Um, and I think, you know, real innovators when it comes to, comes to sort of, you know, building uh, the, their guitar sounds. I mean, I, I love it. Um, I know that the, the vocals aren't everybody's cup of tea. I, I, I've had many friends over the years who, you know, for whom that's been a little bit of a sticking point, but I think, you know, you stick with it and you realize how, how much of a conversation is going on um, in each one of these albums. Uh, plus, I think that they, frankly, hit a grand slam of four great records in a row. Um, I think the one area where uh, you might run into a little bit of difficulty based on our criteria is, is just in terms of um, the, the sort of breadth or, breadth or scale of their, their cultural impact. Um, that's only going to grow with time. I mean, they certainly had it, uh, you know, in the, in the early stages, they were sort of birthed out of the, the Riot Girl movement, which remains, you know, one of the sort of coolest moments in, in punk rock. Um, with bands like, uh, bands like, you know, led by sort of Bratmobile and Bikini Kill and, and that sort of thing. But, um, and, and I think for, for many, they were sort of consigned to that subgenre um, for a long time. But, but I think, you know, their, their pure sort of raw talent and ability um, caused them to, to grow up and out of that. And there's so much more, you know, they're, they're just a huge, great rock band. And I love the idea of sort of, you know, anchoring the Pacific Northwest. And, and um, you know, I, I think that's a, that's a much better case for Sleater Kinney. And I haven't even tried to make one for Parliament Funkadelic. So I'll, I'll turn it over to you, uh, Wyndham and Jeremy, to do that. Jerry, uh, I'll defer to you for, for P-Funk. Yeah, I mean, so <laughs> I think, you know, first of all, you got to give them credit for playing the game in a diapers and, uh, and, and bed sheets. So, I mean, Funkadelic costume-wise definitely came to play, mascots and all. Um, I just, you know, I think Funkadelic is one of those bands that, you know, despite being kind of loved with the disco hits on the P-Funk side or Parliament side of, of Flashlight and uh, Tear the Roof Off the Mother, 
if you really get back into their early, early 70s stuff under the, it's two bands, right? So you have Parliament and Funkadelic, all the same players, but they would switch names to uh, get out of record contracts. <laughs> um, you know, they're really great rock, psychedelic, funk records that, uh, you know, were really ahead of their time. So, I mean, you know, starting with uh, Free Your Mind and Your Ass Will Follow and Funkadelic into 1971, Maggot Brain, I mean, I think are some of the, best rock albums of the of the time um maggie brain to me with eddie hazel just kind of that's like his coming out album just going off on guitar with that intro and then into hit it and quit it and uh you know um it's just it's just one of those albums that blew my mind so i was introduced to funkadelic pretty early when my one of my best friends a, a longtime friend and when knows pretty well addison kid um was a huge Funkadelic fan and, and got me, you know, kind of into the hardcore, you know, listening to these as albums. So I was pretty lucky in the sense that, you know, Standing on the Verge of Getting It On, Cosmic Slop, um, were all kind of a part of my my early kind of music listening. You know, on the flip side for Slater Kinney, I was late to the game. I mean, I was around. I, I should have been into those those gals uh, right away. You know, it was it was you know right in my prime kind of music listening and concert going experience in my twenties, and I just missed the boat. And and I will say to Christian's credit, he kind of you know per our Grand Slam um, conversations, I, I did go and listen to those four albums, and they're fantastic. And and they really do kind of leave a mark. And and you realize you know what what sort of the buzz and the hype are, are about. But um, I don't know. You know, I, I, it's a tough one. I think Sleater Kinney is, is definitely a team that can hold their own. But I, I think just the impact on music in general, and, and you can't ever forget the amount of samples that Funkadelic yeah. Parliament has provided for hip hop and and uh, soul music in, in the kind of 90s and 2000s. I mean, they, they really are just kind of a, a treasure trove of, of great kind of licks and music. So, Win, go ahead. It's a, yeah, it's amazing to me how how much of the map uh, Funkadelic covers, probably Funkadelic covers. I mean, it's everything from you know psychedelic rock to funk. Nothing that you didn't say, and and very eloquently on that, I would say that um, were these two teams to face off in person, uh, Parliament Funkadelic would have eleven people on the court, and Sleater Kenny would say, "Hey, wait, you can only play five people," and they were like, "There are no rules, baby." Um, <laughs> and they would have already put up 25 points by that point. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, Parliament Funkadelic, without them, uh, there is hip-hop. Without them, hip-hop sounds entirely different. It's um, They were super inventive, great players. It was a, you know, it was a weird moment. Uh, and, you know, they're still, they're still out and about. And uh, George Clinton is still, uh, and, you know, he's an icon. He never lost his, his you know, sort of... Um, uh, cool factor at all. He never got old, uh, even though he's gotten old. And um, I, I, too, I like Jeremy. Um, I'm late to this leader, Kenny, um, thing, and I'm really liking it. But um, sorry, they're just overmatched. I'm going up. Uh, Problem with Funkadelic. Well, I, I do think that, uh, that that it's definitely got to count a little bit for Sleater Kidney that they have an album called The Hot Rock, which seems like the most basketball-appropriate album title um, that, uh, that, we've, that we've had thus far. But I'm going to go with Sleater Kidney. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm firmly in the Parliament Funkadelic world for this one. But uh, yeah. Sleater Kidney is, is great, so they'll be back next year.
And then the final matchup has got to be one of the toughest first-round matchups that's ever happened in the history of, of sports and music. Um, we've got the Ramones versus Guns N' Roses, and I really have no idea where this one's going. Hey-ho, let's go versus Welcome to the Jungle. Yeah. Jerry, you want to keep this? Sure. Um, yeah, so, I mean, two, I think, massively influential bands and in, in, uh, in two different uh, kind of genres, but I will say that Guns N' Roses probably listened to the first Ramones album quite a bit. So um, I'll start with Guns N' Roses just because, again, it was, it was you know, the, the height of my sort of junior high, and I think I was in sixth grade or, or seventh grade when that album came out, and uh, it, it just blew up blew up the the scene you know it was a uh, I remember I think when watching welcome to the jungle video with you and, and you were kind of um into that you know you had heard about them and and I think they were playing the Ritz in New York City or something and and it was you know highly buzzed about band and uh just being kind of you know at the they had everything you wanted in a rock band I mean they had a, an intense front man uh a grungy sort of druggy you know uh aesthetic which was very real <laughs> you know and um and then also just put out a kick-ass album so this, this is one of those rare occurrences where you have a, a a really hyped band that that's getting all the media attention getting you know selling lots of records and and then backs it up with a, a great record which is is kind of rare so like everybody loves appetite for destruction it's it is a uh you know it's a great it's one of the great american rock albums mm-hmm. um you know, on the flip side, then you have a band that completely, you know, sort of ate its young and, and went nuts, and, uh, you know, mainly because of the lead singer, and put out a bloated second release of, of two albums, not one, that has some good songs. If you boiled it down to one album, it would probably be good, and maybe not, not great, but good, and um, and then just sort of has fallen apart since then, and, and everybody's disbanded. On the other hand, you have the Ramones, who are, are one of the most consistently you know, great, uh, great rock bands out there. You know, I, I think, you know, we, we've talked before on the pod about sort of the Beach Boy-esque and, and Ronettes kind of sound um, revved up with really fast guitars and, and um, you know, kind of 50s sort of music. And I think the thing with the Ramones is, excuse me, unlike uh, GNR, you know, they're a band that did one thing, did one thing really well, it never swayed from that, and there's a lot to be said for that. Um, they also were a band that came out at a time when rock and roll music had become... Actually, both bands have this in common. Rock and roll had become absolutely ridiculous when GNR came out with the hair metal and the sort of big bloated videos and, and you know, the warrants of the world and the Dawkins, and, and GNR, like Nirvana a few years later, just kicked that door in. And I think the Ramones were out with, you know, Pink Floyd and prog rock and... You know, everybody had to be an amazing sort of noodling musician and and absolutely maybe didn't kick the door in to as big an audience, but the audience they did kick it in for um, created, you know, again, a lot of the best music in the world. So um, this is a really tough matchup, I'm going to say, and uh, I'm going to I'm going to pass the rock to uh, either of you. Christian, why don't you hit it? Wyndham, I think uh, I think you'd be better off uh, addressing this right now. Okay. Um, well, I'm going to say that, uh, you know, I think that's a, a, a very strong point you make about um, sort of cutting through the bloat that was happening um, when both bands came out. Um, Guns N' Roses was kind of the perfectly engineered, I mean, they, they arrived at it organically, but they were sort of the perfectly engineered rock and roll band. I mean, great front man, um, 
different characters. Um, they, you know, and, and by the same, at, you know, at the same time, the Ramones have a, a similar, a very different persona, but a very similar kind of cartoony existence. Um, I grew up listening to the Ramones, so I think my ear is more tuned to how different they sounded than everybody else. Uh, that preceded them, um, you know, experiencing it in real time was a really um, beneficial uh, measure of, of this band. Uh, they were coming out of, uh, you know, the like Jared said, the prog rock bloat, but also um, they were cutting through a lot of the disco stuff, um, which I happen to be a fan of, but a lot of people weren't. And it, it this was sort of a return to, you know, real brass tacks, basic rock and, um, you know, they never really did evolve into a band, um, despite the fact that everybody who was involved with them couldn't believe that they weren't the most popular band in America. Um, that's the sort of, you know, funny part of the Ramones is that everybody was looking at the same, um, you know, set of, of individuals in the same band and saying, why the hell aren't these guys the biggest band in the world? And nobody, uh, could quite reconcile it. Um... That said, uh, Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction, one of the greatest albums, one of the great rock albums of all time. Um, so it's a really tough choice. And, and honestly, like coming into this, having seen this matchup, um, you know, my head kind of exploded. I didn't know where to go, and I still might not. So, um, Christian, what are you thinking? No, I think you guys have said it all perfectly. I actually think I, I'd like to go straight to a vote here. I mean, I, I think you've you've laid out the arguments really well. Uh, it's a tough competition, and we'll be sad to see either of these bands go home. You want to vote first? I will. Um, I'm going to go with the Ramones. Jer? I'm going to take it for the Ramones as well. Wow. That's a, I, I was not expecting a uh, unanimous vote, uh, but that's what we got. And I will say, again, probably the hardest decision I've had to make in the entire first round. the first round though and uh we will be back um tomorrow with the uh the second the beginning of the second round so um for all of us uh jeremy christian and i thanks so much for listening and uh look forward to uh seeing who advances into round into the uh round of sweet 16 starting tomorrow that's it for this episode of brother 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 podcast many thanks to simon doom for our intro music hair of the god and to our heroic producer damian kendall you can learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Tweet our mistakes and your recommendations and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. And it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Until next time, on behalf of Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you for listening. <laughs>